So our series is called Gaining Ground, and I wonder, are you? Or are you still sensing the ground shifting beneath your feet? But maybe you're beginning to stand on a more solid ground. Are you gaining ground in this life of faith we are called to, even in this time of well, trepidation? Or are you still struggling to understand why God has allowed things to get this bad? Why is our economy falling apart? This virus has been allowed to continue to ravage through people's bodies and their lives. Our death tolls are creeping towards 100,000 with infection rates in the millions worldwide. We can sense the fever pitch of paranoia, the fear as people try to find answers as to who is responsible, why they're doing this, and how to protect ourselves from them. Does it still feel like you're losing your footing? Or are you beginning to get a sense that in the midst of this turmoil, God still has a strength and a glory that is worth speaking about? That there is work for you to do in this crisis. And even with such uncertainty, our faith can grow exponentially. Can you still gain ground in this aspect of your faith and life in the midst of all this? Listen, I literally just watched John Krasinski's Some Good News. And if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. I mean, the one with the cast of The Office at someone's virtual wedding is just needed today. I honestly sat at my desk and wept. We all just need some good news sometimes. But in the midst of all of this, we have to find some hope, some encouragement, and even some peace. We have to reach out for those things that fill us with joy, that inspire us to continue, and that grow us as people who have fallen in love with Jesus. In the midst of all of this, there are so many great things happening as well. So Paul writes the second letter to the Thessalonians in order to give them some encouragement through the persecution and the struggle. We don't know exactly when this was written. And there've even been some discussion as to the authorship of this book. But one thing we know for sure there's encouragement and clarification to be found in this scripture. Whether it was written just a few months or years or even 30 years later, as some suggest, we do know this. It is a letter of great encouragement. Now, there are different kinds of encouragement that are inspirational and motivational to people. I mean, just go to any gym. Well, not right now. But when they open up, go to any gym and you'll be able to see the different kinds of motivation. Some are kind of negative. Right? Lots of screaming and insulting happening. And some are very encouraging and uplifting. Do you want to be encouraged by someone who's screaming at you? Come on, you worthless blankety blank, do this. Or do you want to be encouraged by someone saying, you got this. We can make it happen together. I'm not going to let the weights fall and crush you. All right, well, that's probably a little bit too descriptive in the moment. But I believe I made my point. And Paul has decided to take the latter of these two examples. He wants to encourage the Thessalonians, and in turn, there is encouragement that we can find in this letter as well. Paul is encouraging, while at the same time, he's clarifying some issues that the Thessalonians are still dealing with. You see, they thought perhaps because of the things they were going through and the many trials, that the day of the Lord had already happened to them, that they had been judged and now were suffering the consequences. We will deal with this misunderstanding over this week and next. And you will even hear some things we heard in the first book as Paul was reminding them of some of the things they should have remembered, things he trained them for. I mean, crisis should bring us back to our training. You know that, right? Do you remember having to memorize scripture because it was gonna be taken away from you 
I don't think those well-meaning teachers and pastors could have imagined the internet and the access that we now have to scripture. But there was some bit of truth that in times of crisis, we remember how we are trained. The majority of us have been through schooling of one sort or another. We have been trained for jobs that we take on, for vocations that express who we are. And as you know, I work with a nursing program at Azusa Pacific University, and I see nurses being trained. But to be clear, they're not being trained for when it's easy. Rather, they're trained for the crisis. And the Thessalonians had been trained for trials and tribulations as well. So Paul was reminding them of their training. But he decided to do it with some sugar rather than some vinegar. We're breaking this pericope down, this section, if you will, into three different paragraphs. First of all, there's a thanksgiving for God's grace. Then secondly, a defense of God's justice. And thirdly, a prayer for God's power. He encourages them with these words during their time of persecution. He started like this, verse three, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. Now, these are good words. And if it sounds like the greeting from 1 Thessalonians, well, you're right. However, in the first book, he prayed that their love might increase and overflow. But in the second book, 2 Thessalonians right here, he's affirming that it has. I mean, listen, does anyone have a plant, a garden? Does it grow? Because there's very little things that are more satisfying than seeing your work come to fruition. There's nothing like eating vegetables from your own garden or fruit from your own trees. Now, I may or may not steal lemons from my neighbor's tree with a smile and an agreement, as his green thumb is a bit greener than mine. But we do have plants that when they grow, we celebrate as a family. Paul feels this way about his congregation in Thessalonica. He's proud of them to see that some faith, hope, and love that was spoken up in the first book is becoming more and more of a reality, growing and overflowing. Is it okay if I ask you something? Is your faith hope and love growing through this time of crisis? Are you seeking that which is holy, good, and that which is beautiful? Often, rather than growing towards the light, we feed our fear and our darkness. Don't do that. Stand up for what is right. Do that through propagating what is the best in this humanity. He goes on in verse four, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships and suffering. And Paul likes to boast a little bit. And he seems to have a hard time not boasting. I get it, especially when you see God becoming a reality in a group of people. When you see the kingdom of God grow through the gardens you've been given to work in. When you see those seeds grow into strong trees that can weather any storm, it is hard not to tell others about it. Since the beginning of this whole thing, I've been asked many times to do interviews, Zoom meetings, and to be interviewed for articles about how amazing our congregation continues to be faithful in this pivot to the new reality and how we can stay connected. And I gotta tell you, I love talking about it. Not because you are so amazing. Every campus we have and every campus that is coming is incredible, filled with Holy Spirit-led people who are reaching out to do what God would have them do in their communities. When you follow God, you're easy to brag on. But Paul does not simply brag about the people in the church. He reminds them that they have a purpose and a plan that comes from God at this time. In verse five, he says, and God will use this persecution to show justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. So how are you suffering for God's kingdom? I guess what I mean is this. How are you gaining ground for the kingdom through this time? 
We have made it easy and simple with like and share, right? That option that you can click, start a watch party, bring people into your virtual home, home in order to grow community. But it goes beyond this virtual realm. See, there are times when many of you have reached out to me and my family and have brought some amazing gifts that allowed us to remember how great this community of God really is. Food being left on our doorstep, encouraging emails, and even letters of encouragement. And don't even get me started about our campuses in Portland, Chattanooga, Northeast Atlanta, Clinton, Massachusetts, and even Los Angeles, and the many small groups and Lovewell communities around the country and the world that we hear from. You're all working to stay connected and grow the kingdom through this time. You are going out of your way because you believe in continuing the momentum of the Holy Spirit through this time and through this movement. So thank you for that. We know so many of you are suffering but not in vain, not without purpose. In verse six, he says, in his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Now, whoa, did we just take a turn in a direction that we were not expecting? No, but see, we're moving into this next section, which we have called the defense of God's justice. God sees in the Thessalonians, not only evidence of God's grace, but also evidence of his righteous judgment. And he lets them know that those who aggravate them will also be aggravated and their suffering at the hands of those who aggravate them shows God's justice, as their suffering is only the first part of the sentence. You see, the second part is their purpose, the justification of their suffering and the glorification of God through that suffering. God was using this suffering, not sending it, but using it to develop their love, faith, perseverance, and character, and of course, their hope. He first thanks God for the grace he has given to the church and then he thanks God for the justice that is clearly seen through their suffering. Paul always brings things back to God. Have you noticed that? This is great theology. Don't get stuck thinking about yourselves. Think about what we are going to do through this opportunity to glorify God. And by the way, this is righteous discernment. It is also trust that God will provide, which is exactly where Paul goes next. You see, his assurance of the righteousness of God's future judgment, the day of the Lord, had not happened yet. And he prompts three questions for us. When will it happen? Who will be punished? And what form will that punishment take? So in verse seven, he says, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us. When the Lord Jesus appears from the heaven, he will come with his mighty angels. Okay, this is him reminding them of how this will happen. Remember when he did this before in chapter one, in, in sorry, the book one, chapter four, verse 16, he wants them to have the logistics of this down. You see, they were getting confused by some who had come through to tell them a different gospel and a different process. There were those who were not teaching them to work even because the day of the Lord had already come and the second coming of Jesus was at hand. Paul wants to remind them that there's a process that they need to understand. See, he's answering the when questions. Remember, we broke up the sentence when he said a mighty angel. So the thought is not yet complete. To remind you, the start of this sentence, he says, he will come with his mighty angels. And then verse eight, in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Okay, this, by the way, sounds a little bit like Isaiah 66, 15 and 66, 4. But I want you to take a moment and recognize something. The judgment is coming to those who refuse to obey the good news and choose not to know God. But this begs a question, why would anyone want to do that? 
Why would anyone knowingly walk away from God or simply choose not to know him? Friends, we may have something to do with this because we got to ask ourselves, what kind of God are you showing the world? Are we speaking of God in a way that shows his abundant love and mercy? Are we speaking of God with language that is both winsome and beautiful? Are we expressing the love we've been given to the world? Are we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or are we sharing something else? When people are given the true gospel, when they see how much God loves them, not only through our words, but also through our actions, when they experience the love of God through our hands and hearts every day, perhaps they will see something that our mouths are not always great at articulating. God loves you. He is for you. And he wants to be with you forever, time and proximity. However, even in the midst of such great and grand expressions of love, there are those who will choose not to accept the gospel. And to those, God's judgment is just. Verse nine, he says, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Now, we could spend a long time talking about hell and what we believe about it, what other faith traditions believe and how this all goes down. But let me say it simply this. Our faith tradition tells us, and I think good theology and good biblical work also tells us that there is eternal destruction, but there will not be destruction eternally. It's a lot to unpack there, I know. But simply put, Seventh-day Adventists believe in what we call annihilationism or conditional mortality, which is the belief that the wicked will perish and be no more. Again, God is not a God that compels people to love him. So your choice is your choice. And if you personally choose to believe that heaven is not a place for you, it is not a place you would be interested in going or that it does not and cannot exist, that choice is yours to make. And the ultimate consequence of that choice is eternal separation from God. We don't believe in eternal torment, but we do believe in eternal separation. Now, I'm gonna recommend a movie and a book to help you understand uh, this a bit more. First, the book. The Fire That Consumes by Edward Fudge. And then their movie that is produced about this book called Hell and Mr. Fudge. Now, I know that sounds weird and you might not wanna watch it, but you can watch it on Amazon Prime and on iTunes. And I know this sounds weird, but the movie is a pretty good explanation of the book. I won't go into the idea of conditional mortality anymore, but look it up. Oh, and this speaks of the incredible character of God. Even in judgment, he's not unduly harsh. Verse 10, back in the scripture, when he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. This is an affirmation and encouragement of their faithfulness, a reminder they have nothing to fear in judgment because they have continued to seek Christ and to show others his great grace and glory. And of course, he ends with a prayer for God's power. He says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things for the, for the people for you. He gives them the ability. What gives us the ability to be faithful? It's God. What gives you the ability to be righteous? It's God. Are you sensing a pattern here? Because when times are tough, it is God that will get you through. When it is hard to be faithful, it is God that will give you the courage and strength. When things go great, it is God whom we give glory to for his grace. When things are needing to be done, it is God who gives us the compassion and the impetus to do it all. So what are we learning? Certainly not that you have to lean on your own strength, on your own understanding. 
but that God is offering you something that is much more deep and powerful than what we usually want to even believe he gets us. Paul is rejoicing in their faithfulness, but even that comes from God. When we falter, when we stumble, when we feel like we can't go on, it's not our strength we should be seeking. It's his strength, his purpose, and his power. We can spend some more time on judgment if you like, but it seems even to Paul as almost a superfluous conversation. He wants to move on to the end of the sentences to get to where Paul lands. The end of the passage always leads us back to Jesus and it has again and again. I don't know if you've noticed that throughout this series. And these texts are no different. We are not left in the judgment. We are brought to grace. We are brought to the prayer for us that we might have the strength of God. The last verse we'll talk about today says in verse 12, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. And this is hope, right? God is honored through the way you live through the crisis and in the honoring of God, we are honored as well. And all this is possible because of the grace that comes from God. Friends, this is such good news. The good news is that it is God who not only has your back, but he has your strength. He loves you so much and he can't wait to be with you. Every good thing comes from him. And even when we don't give him all the credit, he is still graceful and benevolent through it all. It is easy to forget the amazing work of God in our lives, especially as circumstances change and even fall apart. But we should praise God through all these times. I want to leave you with these words by Jürgen Moltmann. He says, that is why faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest, not patience, but impatience. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. And if you are tired of this, if you are wanting to see change, if you want to see things go back to some semblance of life as you used to know it, but you're still not happy with that, that just might be your faith developing into hope of what Christ has for you. As you go through this crisis, let hope lead you to Christ. It's the only place I would be interested in being. Let us never give up on hope. Let us never fail to give hope to those around us in all of the judgment that Paul talks about. And next week, we're gonna talk about the whole process. I want you to understand something. It's always the middle of the sentence that talks about judgment, but the end of the sentence always talks about Jesus. So if you think that this is it, that everything is falling apart, that things will never get better, remember that we are living in the middle of the sentence. We are not living at the end because at the end is always Jesus Christ. At the end is always the hope that has not disappointed us. I get it. This is interminable. It continues and continues and we just want it to stop. Some of you will be meeting in your churches again pretty soon. Praise God for that. Be careful. For those of us in California, we know it's going to be a little bit longer, but we're committed to staying here with you and to being a voice of hope. Because every time I go to scripture, I am not taken down into the darkness, but I am lifted up into the light of who Jesus is. May you be as well. Do not allow yourself to get stuck in the middle of a sentence, go to the end, because at the end is always Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord of mercy, God of grace, 
it's easy to get stuck. But Lord, your story's not done. This revelation of who you are, it's not over. And so Lord, may, may you give us that sense of hope. Let our faith become hope and let us be impatient. Let us be uneasy. Let us be ready for the next step in our faith and our life. Lord, I want to pray for every single one of our campuses right now. Some who are going to be going back to church together, be with them. Some who are going to have to wait a little longer in our homes, away from one another, be with us. And some who haven't even met yet, but Lord, you are doing a good work in them and creating momentum for the kingdom through them. So thank you for everything you're allowing us to do. Lord, who can imagine that in the midst of this crisis, you would see fit that we still plant churches. Lord, thank you. Let us not get stuck, but let us continue to read on so that we might always come back to you. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.